0: November the 5th, 2017, lecture discussion number 300. Yes, I, yes, the, the crowd cheers. This is number 300, the end. Uh, I would say the end. I'll explain that in a minute. And how suitable is it that we conclude Romans' study on Romans with Samson? That, of course, is Romans 11. Samson is Romans 11 personified, if you wish to think of it that way. And, of course, uh, we, I, have completed nothing. I'm just merely presenting the illusion of finishing. This isn't really finishing. As you're all fully cognizant, Romans has barely been touched. 300 lectures and I've barely touched. Uh, it is certainly the same for Samson, and it was the same for Adam and Satan and woman, Eve, but for now at least, the pretense of having reached an acceptable point, which I can assign the word done to, um, that's going to have to suffice, and that's where we are. The appropriateness of being in Judges 16, or Samson, at number 300 is actually fortuitous. It's rather good planning. It wasn't intentional. I had a question, and I recognized, no, Samson belongs here because of his impact, if you will, on Genesis 3. So it wasn't planned. And Romans 5 is, of course, what we have gotten into at great depth, whether you recognize it or not. It's one of the key, are uh, of, of the central components of the book of Romans, and that is Adam and death through Adam. So I... I... Have often just brought it down to three things in Romans many, many times. And these are the three. The fact that death comes through Adam, I would say, is one of the key elements that we have to pay attention to. The fact that that's the case and that Adam is a type of Christ. So I have the typology of Adam and the type, or, and I'm sorry, and the death through Adam are the Death by decay, not death by outside force. You can make the case that both of them are through Adam. Paul G did it. And I won't disagree with you, but death by decay certainly would be the first and foremost of those two with regard to Adam. The second would be salvation by grace alone. There is no salvation any other way. Salvation is a grace event, a grace Construction, grace alone, anyone who tells you you have some other component in your salvation is evil. That, of course, Romans 1. So, Adam, death, hypology, salvation by grace, and the last of the three is Israel will be restored. Restoration of Israel. Many, many churches do not believe that. They have replacement, I should put it this way, they have replacement theologies. They think Israel, God has abandoned them, seeks their destruction, and uh, they are eliminated. And Israel, however, will be saved. The wife of Israel, though in adult, or I'm sorry, the wife of YHVH, the Lord God, though. Uh, Divorce for adultery will be redeemed. So those are the three that I think that uh, when you go through the book of Romans, those are the ones you look to uh, and find as much as you can. They're the ones that will send you all throughout the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. And it should be beyond obvious as to which one is Samson of those three profound truths. Samson's uh, conformity to Adam is extensive. There's no doubt about that. And Samson, likewise, is Israel, redeemed, restored, returned to service. And, and uh, those two, as again, are pretty obvious. And you see, Genesis three is fundamentally about the exist, the essence. Gosh, can't talk today. Why? Not enough medicine. Genesis 3 is fundamentally about the essence of existence. When you are studying the story of Adam and Eve and Satan and all of those things, you are in the essence of existence, the entanglements of existence, all that that is inside of the issue of existence, and if you wish to reduce the focus to the attributes of free will, that's that's perfectly fine. That's, in fact, exactly what you should do. The attributes of free will would include, of course, the why of free will. Why do we have free will? Understanding that is Genesis 3. To put it another way, uh, well, I'll just stop there. Ask yourself, why do we have free will? That's Genesis 3. And that continues in Romans 5. And the redemption of Israel as portrayed by the blindness of Samson is unmistakable. Again, that's Romans 11. So here is Romans 5. Here is Romans 11. Two of the three uh, include Samson. I'm going to tell you that all three include Samson. Samson is in every one of those. But where then is the truth of the just shall live by faith? That powerful statement of Romans 1. Life as God defines life is a product of belief. When he says the just shall live, he's talking about what he says is life. He does not call existence life, he calls something else life. Life requires reconciliation, requires his presence. So the just the saved shall live by faith, by grace. Life as God defines life is a product of belief. Not a product that's not fair. It is intrinsic with belief. Belief and life are, cannot be separated. So certainly belief is a cornerstone of Genesis 3. You should remember that. Adam believed God. Eve did not. Temporarily. The woman being deceived did not believe God, though she repents and she confesses. Because of her repentance and confession, she is renamed by Adam as the mother of the living or the mother of life. Again, life and belief. Stuck together. We have a new, in my desire to increase revenue, I'm using new products all the time. We have found a, Lori and I have found a new sheetrock. We have all the new sheetrock devices. You would expect that. I explained to somebody the other day, uh, we have 300 inside corners to mud and tape in our little tiny project. 300. Count the ones in this room. I can count this room. Uh, One, two. Well, there's some big ones. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, twelve, fourteen. We have 300 inside corners. How good do you think Lori's getting at inside corners? She is fantastic. Um, We also have probably that many outside corners in the rounded corners, so the trim work's going to be meticulous. All of that said, there's a new product, and I thought about, hey, I should bring this product here because I'm very happy with it. Who knows? It's a, it's called, uh, uh, it's a new tape. What it does is it bonds to the mud so that the, the, uh, the tape of the joints, even the butt tape, or the butt joints are, uh, are embedded to where they don't blister and they don't bubble. And it's really an impressive product. And I'm very happy with it and delighted. Hence, I wanted to bring it to give them some well-deserved advertising that reaches an extraordinary audience of no one who does sheetrock. Yes. It's called fiber fuse, is what it's called. And it's only available at Lowe's, in case you want to know. Or else, uh, it's Bernard too. But not Home Depot. What is Home Depot thinking? Buy on them. The funny thing is, is that hardly anybody uses it, uh, but it is an excellent... What's happening? Oh, golly, here I am. I'm (laughs) completely lost. I should run a... I ban- should run a, a, a construction channel. There are people making a lot of money pretending to be contractors on TV. It's amazing. They're all blonde and redhead, redhead contractors. You gotta be kidding me. That's not even possible, is it? That's very funny, except no one on the internet will know why. <laughs> My point is, is that when you find products now that are actually relevant to people who have no skills, That's a good thing. right, where am I? The point being is, is that I can find Romans 5, I can find Romans 1, and I can find Romans 11, and I can, I'm sorry, I can find Romans 5 and Romans 11, and I can immediately get them to Genesis 3. I can get Romans 1 to Genesis 3, but where? how do I get it to Samson? That's my point. Where is Romans 1, 17 with respect, with regard to Judges 13 through 16? Where is the salvation? The just shall live by faith, by grace alone. Where is that in the story of Samson? And that's going to require additional effort examining, if you will, in the event it has not been yet found by some of you. By some of you, of course, I do not mean any of you, or or any of the exceedingly vast Internet audience. I mean those other people. And exceedingly vast is a relative term. Okay, let's make the final list of the 300 supposed lectures of Romans. So our last list. And not, again, the last list. Not the final list. Uh, there's always going to be more lists. List makers going to list. This is the last one of Romans 300. So here we go. There's a lot of things. The first one is Judges 3.15. I'm sorry, Judges 13.15. I went to Genesis there for a second. Judges 14.6 and Judges fifteen one. And what those are, are the three, uh, those are the three young goats. What's going on there? Second is the three women of Samson, if you wish to think of it that way. 14-2, Samson has three women, and we have to get those all put together as much as we can. We have three movings of the Holy Spirit. there are. How many movings do we have in Samson's life? We don't know, but God has set aside three of them. 13.24 that we do know about, 14.6 and 14.19. Why did God pull those out if there are many more? He pulls those three out and puts them together into a group. We have the binding of Samson with new ropes. New ropes. Why? Judges 15.13 and 16.11. We have the seven green vines. He tells he's, he lies to uh, Delilah, as you know, sixteen seven, and we have the seven locks of hair. It seems appropriate, and I think, correct to, to make the position that Samson had had these braids in his head, and he had seven of them on purpose. So then we also have the mocking of Delilah. In other words, Samson mocks Delilah. That's very important. Why does he mock her? But he does. Then we have the slavery of Samson. Samson ends up in slavery. As you know, you have read ahead in the story. And these are not necessarily in order because when I wrote them all down, I didn't pay attention to the order as much as I should. There's this tormenting of Samson. He is tormented both by Delilah and he is tormented by the Philistines. We have the blinding of Samson. And that is a key element that has to be developed and explained. Samson's soul is vexed, he's under tremendous pressure, Samson's thirst unto death, it says that his soul is uh, vexed unto death as well, and that is 16.16, and his thirst, of course, 15.18, chapter 15. K L Samson's telling all his heart. That's a phrase that has to be explained, I believe, 1617. And then this one, very important, Samson's permission. Let's see how am I doing here? The return of Samson or the restoration of Samson, the five payments of silver, the cleft of the rock. He hides in a cleft of the rock. That should be obvious to you where that connects. I hope it does. That's Moses, isn't it? I'll put Moses here for those who don't know about that. Ah. Where can I put this? I'll come over here. 1625. So it happened when their hearts were merry. That's. I think, clear, I hope it is, they are merry, the Philistines are, and what happens to them while they are merry? Sudden destruction. And then we have the young lad that holds Samson's hand. He's holding Samson's hand. And then one that is way out of order should actually be up here. The three lies of Samson. He lies three times. Why does he do that? So there we go. That's our list. And again, I will assume that everyone has seen the lack of chronology. And this, the last list, especially this item number S, or item S, it should go over here uh, with these three. Obviously, threes belong together. Though it shouldn't be necessary, I'll repeat the ever-present disclaimer here. The final list is not a complete list. That is what we're trying to cover today, and it's not complete. I have never been able to complete a list or compile a completed list. Duh. Nor has anyone else been able to do so. More duh. Yes, ma'am. You're pointing. Oh, you have a question? Oh, oh, which one can you not read? Mox Delilah. That's the slavery of Samson. That's where he is a, uh, he goes into slavery. Again, keep in the forefront of your mind when you're reading this list, start asking yourself, what is Genesis 3? what is Romans 5, what is Romans 1, what is Romans 11? Again, I have not been able to ever complete a list or finish a list in my so-called career, the entirety of it, nor has anyone else been able to compile a completed list or explain a list. Welcome to the Word of God. And that disappoints people, and all I can say to them is, is That's all I can say. I, I don't know what else to say. And so, in addition to the final list not being the final list, there will not be time to address every item on this incomplete so-called list. It's just not going to happen. Again, see the box here. That's the intrinsic nature of listing these kinds of things. It's just there's no time, and all of that to say the, the best we can accomplish is is calling this down, paring it down somehow, and and that is uh, we can raise the that which we have called down. That's we, that which we have we isolate today. We can uh, raise the issues of pertinence to them. But the rest of them are just going to go. You're on your own. And as always, being the the most high possessor of the holy dry erase marker made in Japan, I'm going to choose. And I'm going to choose the three goats, the three young goats. What do they mean? They're obviously important to this story of Samson. Samson, individually and as a collective. So let's go and read the three goats context and see if we can figure, at least make a run at it. Judges 14, 5 through 6. So here we go. So Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came to the vineyards of Timnah. Now to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him and the spirit of the Lord came mightily, here we have one of the three mightily movings of the Spirit of the Lord on Samson, and he tore the lion apart as one would have torn apart a young goat, though he had nothing in his hand. Judges, uh, what's next? Uh, i got to find it here. Judges 14, 5 through 6, I did that one. Now, I've lost track. Which one have I missed? Oh, I missed the first one. Why didn't I include that in my list here? I didn't. I don't know why. So, here's the first one, though. It's 13, verses 15 through 18. Then Manaoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please let us detain you. So, this is where... The wife has seen Christ and now the husband of the, obviously, the father of Samson and the mother of Samson have, are finding Christ together. And so he sees Christ and, and he says, the father does of Samson, let us detain you and we will prepare a young goat for you. So there's the first young goat. I put the second one first and now the first one second. I messed it up. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Though you detain me, I will not eat your food. But if you offer a burnt offering, you must offer it to the Lord. For Man-Oah did not know he was the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord means he is, in fact, God. Then Manoa said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name? And when your words come to pass, we may honor you. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask something that is beyond understanding? Your book, your Bible, might have translated la- it as seeing it as wonderful, but it is beyond understanding. Okay, and the final one is at fifteen, one through three. After a while, in the time of the wheat harvest, it happened that Samson visited his wife with a young goat. That's the third young goat. First young goat is the father and mother of Samson trying to detain Christ and offering him a young goat. The second one is the young goat. That is, tore, the, the lion is torn apart as if you would tear apart a young goat. And here's the thirteen. Now, after a while, in, or the third one, after a while, in the time of the wheat harvest, it happened that Samson visited his wife with a young goat and he said, let me go into my wife, into her room. But the father would not permit him to go in. Her father said, I really thought that you thoroughly hated her. I really thought that you thoroughly hated her. Therefore, I gave her to your companion. Is it not her younger sister? Is not her younger sister better than she? Please take her instead. And Samson said to them, This time I shall be blameless regarding the Philistines if I harm them. So the first goat then is a gift with the stated motive of detaining the angel of the Lord, Jesus Christ. That's the purpose of the first goat. Give God a young goat. Why is the father of Samson, doing this. And Christ refuses the young goat as what? As food. He said, don't offer me a young goat as food. If you're going to offer me a young goat, you must do it as what? As a burnt offering. A sin offering. As the angel of the Lord is, in fact, creator God himself. A burnt offering is a sin offering. A young goat brings the day of atonement to the fore. That's Leviticus 16.8, where I have two goats. Here I have three goats. Leviticus 16.8, I have two goats. The two goats. One goat is for God. The other goat is for who? Do you remember? There's two persons that get a goat. Leviticus 16.8. Some of your Bibles might say scapegoat. It is not scapegoat. It is Azazel. YHVH, the ineffable, the tetragrammaton, the unpronounceable name of God. We say Yahweh, but it's not pronounceable. He gets a goat, and Azazel gets a goat. And it's determined by lot. By lot, I mean by chance. Chance. Not the person. So two goats, one for God and one for Satan. Immediately I've got God and Satan together there, don't I? Where am I now in the Bible? I'm in Genesis 3. Here I am again. God and Satan. Each has a goat. Obviously, the first of the three goats, that Manoah, is the goat for YHVH, the Lord God. He brings Christ a goat. 168 Leviticus. Now, what we have to do is find the goat for Azazel in the story of Samson. I have three to choose from, or two left to choose from. Which one is Satan's? The second young goat is compared, contrasted to the tearing apart of a young lion. The young lion is torn to pieces as easily as one would have torn apart a young goat. That's what he says. Now I hope you started to ask questions. How many of you have torn apart a young goat? I have not torn apart a young goat. I have no experience that would in any way qualify as equivalent to rending a young goat. So, I thought about this many years ago. I thought about it again, because here I am again. Every time I see this, I go... That is very unusual. Would I have used this example if I had written the book? He tore the lion apart as easily as one might tear. Maybe a piece of paper. Maybe a banana. I used to have a friend that could grab an apple in his hands and snap it apart. It amazed all the students. You could do that yourself. All you have to do is score the apple a little bit. There's ways to do it, but some people are physically able to do it without that. But I I never have done this, and I was not at all that certain that it was easily accomplished. How big do you suppose the young goat is? In other words, how young is the young goat? Six months old? Could I catch a six month old goat? Not, uh, not a chance. You have to be in a phone booth now. My only hope. Could I tear a young goat apart? No. Why did he say this? It's a, it is not easily accomplished. Unless it would be what? A very, very young goat. A newborn goat. An infant goat. Then it starts to make sense, and I submit that this is the meaning. A new newborn goat is very fragile. Who is it that tears apart a newborn? And why do they tear apart newborns? Is it physically easy or is it emotionally easy? Well, now, see that now? Where are we considering? This is a society that we live in that tears newborns apart. It's an extremely common practice now. Peace by piece destruction of infants is an evil practice, and it has its origins in the ancient pagan cultures. Anyone who read judges 16, who are new about this, comparison would know that this is a newborn goat and that human beings, newborn human beings, are being torn to pieces constantly in those pagan cultures. Moloch comes to mind, Leviticus 18, 20 through 25. In case you think that tearing apart newborns is a, is a relatively uh, recent Activity, there's nothing new under the sun, Ecclesiastes 1 through 9. The reasons it was done then and the reasons it's being done now are the same reasons. Anyway, this simile is caused for a more investigative review. Obviously, the metaphor is intentional. God is omniscient. He's the creator of time. He put this in here knowing what it would mean all throughout time. He has intended and purposed this linking of a young goat with the roaring, attacking lion. The lion lion has a fate very much representative, very much the same as the senseless dismemberment by hand of an infant goat. Who tears apart an infant goat? For what reason? The only one reason. A religious reason. So what is it that God is saying here? Obviously, I have suggested that it is my position that the roaring lion that came to devour Samson is not Satan. I submit that the roaring lion is the seed of the serpent, Genesis 3.15. Of course, in symbolism here, or typology, Samson, who is of a miraculous birth, he is one of the miraculous births, in, the, in Scripture, the most miraculous, of course, is Christ himself. So I have a miraculous birth, the Nazarene from birth to his death, the Savior of Israel, certainly a type, a portrayal of the seed of the woman. And Samson, being this, quickly, effortlessly kills the seed of the serpent, the lawless one. That is is 2 Second Thessalonians 2.8. So I think that is the best understanding of this. And of course, what happened here was an actual, literal event by a literal, actual person, Samson. And God hid a picture of Himself within all of this. Okay, so we got two goats. How good a job have I done explaining the goats' meanings? Not very good. Why not? Can I do better? Oh yeah. Will we get to anything else on the list? No. We're barely going to get through the three goats. That's the problem with Samson. Pack a lunch. The third goat is much like the first goat in the sense that it's a gift. Samson brings a young goat to the house of his wife. That's his wife. She's in a situation where she is supposed to be in his, in that house. She's not there. And he comes with a young goat to the house of his wife. Now, it would be advisable to include here the perplexing account of Judah and Tamar, Genesis 38. Where does Judah go? You know the Judah-Tamar story? Very complicated, very difficult. Seems to be. How do you explain it? Hardly ever addressed in commentaries. But Judah goes up to Timnah. Samson goes down to Timnah. There you go. Judah offers Tamar, who has disguised herself as a Harlot, and is waiting for him by the road, he offers her a young goat. Now, he doesn't have the young goat with him. So, he's, Judah is going down to Timnah. Samson is going up to Timnah. Judah offers Tamar a young goat. Samson comes with a young goat. And obviously this Tamar Judah incident is providing information to Samson in Judges 15. We can figure out the young goat at Samson by looking at the young goat of Judah and Tamar. And both, uh, and so, again, Samson, uh, excuse me, (coughs) Genesis 38 is adding information to Judges 15, and Samson is adding evidences to the meaning of Genesis 38. You put them together and you find out answers in both. So both Genesis 15 and Genesis 38 are cryptic passages, very difficult. Genesis 38 is seemingly out of place. It doesn't seem to be in the right place. It's like it has been grabbed arbitrarily and placed into the narrative of Joseph. It's been about Joseph, Joseph, Joseph. It's all about Joseph. Stuck in the middle of the Joseph study or the Joseph, Joseph uh, telling is this Judah and Tamar, young goat, Timna, signet ring. It seems to be without any connectivity to Joseph. But it has tremendous connectivity to Joseph. It's exactly where it has to be. Judah and Tamar are perfectly placed. Perfectly, exactly where they belong. So we have to determine how this is so. Are we going to get to it today? No. Anyway. Placing Judges 15 and Genesis 38... Young goat to young goat, Timna to Timna. Doing that's going to resolve the issues that are prevalent in both. Okay. Let's see how am I doing? Gotta hurry. People have made me aware that I say so okay in any way. And that's my three transition phrases that I repeat, apparently. By the way, it doesn't bother him. <laughs> <laughs> the fourth one cannot be uttered. Don't you notice yourself now, though, finding people that say it constantly? Isn't it annoying? See, I'm doing you a favor. So, okay, anyway. Samson brings a young goat. The first question becomes of, the, of Judges 15, who took possession of the young goat? Who is your choices? It's the father of the wife. It is the sister of the wife. It is the murderous Philistine companion who has possession of the wife. Or it is the wife. Who got Samson's goat? (laughs) I thought no one would laugh at all. It's funny that people laughed at that. That's... (laughs) See now you're encouraging me to do more of those things. Yeah, that's right. They're apparently Lori has found this uh, site that is uh, about puns. Have you seen that one? Oh, it is it is really awful. But, but... <laughs> most of... what's that? It's not funny at all. No, which is why they're going into the bulletin. That's the um... <coughs> honor. Lori loves them now she she keeps reading all of them it's a sickness okay where so okay anyway samson brings a young goat first question who took possession of it i submit it was not the bride she did not receive the young goat i have the pattern of tamar tamar did not get the goat from judah judah sends a goat for tamar but she's gone he doesn't know it's tamar and she's got his ring right she got the promise of a goat. Tamar did not receive the young goat either. Though that is a complicated process to say the least. No time. The wife bride is and has been given to the best man who will and intends and always intended to murder her. Something that Samson quickly determined. And she's not at the house of the father. As soon as he knows her, who she is with, and soon as he knows why she is with him, and soon as he knows who he is that has her, Samson knows she's dead. Or at least under great peril again, and he attempts to find her and save her again. As you know, we've been over that. So the discussion about the goat is between now reduced to three. Samson, the father, and the younger sister. Does Samson keep the goat? Does the father take the goat? Does the younger sister take the goat? Now, dims your choices. Who has the young goat? Note that the third young goat is actually the second young goat. Does that make sense to you? I hope it does. The second young goat... The one that is torn to pieces is not a literal, physical young goat, but instead is an example. I should interject here. Some people do not think any of these are goats. They think they're fawns or hinds. Think Psalm 22, the hind of the morning. I believe they're goats. Just in case you come across that, recognize that I am not proposing it because I don't think it fits. I think this is a Leviticus 16 uh, complimentary there are only two actual young goats the other is uh, a is a thought experiment did not happen no one actually tore apart a newborn goat it was just used as an example but there are two actual young goats again leviticus 16 one is the, the goat for the Lord God of creation, the YHVH. The other one is going to go to who? Azazel. So somewhere in this story, I must have Azazel. Satan. Again, your Bible may have said scapegoat. Get rid of that. Azazel is a person. If two persons receive a goat. YHVH, Azazel, Satan. And obviously, this is then, again, a connection to the entire Genesis 3, 9 through 24, trials and sentencing of Satan, Adam, and Eve. So here it is in Samson, getting you back to Genesis 3. But specifically, in this case, with this second goat, is Satan. This is the father of the wife. And he gets the young goat. So we now know he is representative of Azazel. He is in the role of Azazel. Now you can go to Leviticus and read J.H. Kurtz and, and uh Yeah, if you can, it's in German and you'll have to have it translated for you. And it's almost completely unreadable. Bring as much coffee as you can physically ingest. It is difficult. Baar, Bar, D. Leach, all these guys that have wrestled with this. I think J.H. Kurtz got it absolutely perfectly right. And so, uh, good luck with that. Uh, uh, I think you should do it. Those of you on the internet who are interested in the extraordinary complexity of uh, Leviticus 16, I think would uh, enjoy that a great deal. We don't have time to do that. So, who is the younger sister? If I've identified the father as Satan, who is the younger sister? The father of the wife has given the older sister to her murderer. Does the younger sister know that? Is the younger sister complicit? Is she involved in the plot? What is her role? Does the father of the wife, who when he gives the wife of Samson to the murderer, the man who intends to kill her, does the father of the wife... uh, I'm sorry, does the younger sister know that's going to happen to the older sister? Did you think that the younger sister just happens to be hanging around just when Samson brings a young goat and the father says, hey, take her instead? How much involvement does she have? Is it in a vacuum that she is aware of? I think it's clearly obvious that she knows. And she is there because the father anticipated something was going to happen. What was he? What did he anticipate something was going to happen? Samson had just slaughtered 30 Ascalon priests who were surrounded by a security detail. He massacres them effortlessly. Is he coming for his wife? Oh, yeah. The father has to have a plan. And he does. And the sister has to be part of the plan. And she is. She therefore has to know the plan. And she does. So who is she? Let's talk about it. The father of the wife has given the older sister to her murderer and intends to manipulate the savior of Israel, Samson, into accepting the younger sister. On the basis that Samson really hates Israel. See what I did there? I thought, I really thought that you thoroughly hated her. Did he really think that Samson, who kills 30 Ascalon priests and saves the bride, really hates the bride? No. Why does he lie? He said, I really thought you hated Israel. See again what I did? And he said, and I thought that you always really hated Israel. We've been over this. Who always says that God hates Israel and took them out into the wilderness and killed, to kill them, to murder them? It's a constant accusation of God. The Jewish people have a bumper sticker that says, if we're the chosen people, please God pick somebody else. Does God hate Israel? Has he ever hated Israel? He does not hate Israel. He has never hated Israel. That is a evil, wicked lie told to Samson's face. And Samson knows that it's a lie. And he knows the man never really thought this. And so notice how Samson responds to it. He interprets the statement of the father as if it is wicked and assigns evil to both the father and the younger sister. He declares them both to be evil. How do I know that? Because he says to them. He doesn't say to him. And Samson says to them, This time I shall be blameless regarding the Philistines when I kill them. What you have said to me has justified me killing as many Philistines as I can. That's what he says to the father and the younger daughter. So I have the younger daughter with the father. Some might say riding on the beast. Does that help you? Notice the younger daughter is destroyed. There you are in the book of Revelation. Riding on the beast gets you destroyed. Not a good plan. Now I got to really go fast. M, where we are now. We did one thing. Now we're going to try to do two things. Samson's permission, this is what provides the solution, To Samson's departed strength. Notice how I stated that. Departed. When I tell you departed, that itself is an answer or the answer. Holy Spirit, that which moved in Samson, departs from Samson. That puts you into Ezekiel when the Holy Spirit leaves the temple. God departed, left Samson. The question is why? Well... Oh, and did Samson even know? Did he understand why God left him? That's up for for discussion. I'll try to answer that if I can today. Samson lies to Delilah three times. He lies three times. Where is it? Right here. The three, three lies of Samson. What do you know about that? He exposes what he thinks of Delilah there, doesn't he? He lies to her three times. Samson is clearly aware that Delilah seeks to kill him. Delilah, though, cannot kill him. Now, connect that to Israel, the men of Judah, Judges 15, 11 through 13. They are forced to vow that they will not kill the Savior of Israel. Connect that to Christ and his crucifixion. The answer to the question, bless his heart, great theologians, I won't mention his name. Great theologians out there, written incredible stuff. i have give you books by this man. He says in one of his books, the Jews killed Christ. Christ is God. Samson is making sure that you understand what happened at the crucifixion. I'm sorry, the book of Samson makes you understand what happened at the crucifixion when Samson forces the nation of Israel that they would not kill He is the Savior of Israel. They would, however, deliver him to the Philistines with new ropes. What a great idea. So there's your Gethsemane, right? Likewise, Delilah is the deliverer of Samson to the Philistines. She can't kill him. She doesn't even shave his head. All she does is lull him to sleep. She cannot kill or capture him unless, unless something happens. She can't cause his capture. She can't deliver him. She can't kill him unless something happens. He must give her permission. And he does. Samson must allow, he must permit himself to be shorn. A razor placed to his head. A Nazarite must not... Permit a razor to be placed to his head. It is a decision. It is an act of will. And they're not to do it. Not to allow it. And because Samson undeceived, I know he's undeceived because he lies to her three times. And he mocks her. Samson undeceives, permits Delilah to place a razor to his head. He knows She's going to do it. Though she called for a man to do it. He didn't know that. Samson did not shave his head. She called a man. Why did she do that? I always thought about that. This mysterious man that shaves off the seven braids of Samson. What was he thinking? The barber. How good a job had Delilah done lulling Samson to sleep? That's the first question I got if I'm the barber. You know, you've hit this guy with a tranquilizer dog. This is like going after a Kodiak brown bear who's been tranquilized. I gotta know what time, how, what the dosage, who shot him. I'm going in there. I'm going to shave the bear. Good luck with that. I mean, who does this kind of stuff? If Samson wakes, the barber is literally violently dismembered. How did she get him to do this? Here, sign here. Your job, shave this man's head and hope that I have lulled him to sleep. Who is this guy? Why is he even necessary? The point being, yea, a point. Samson, undeceived, freely, willfully, though under great stress, vexed to his soul, nonetheless permits the woman to put a razor to his head. He surrenders himself. The resultant is that the Holy Spirit departs. The Holy Spirit departs, departs because of the free will aspect. It isn't the shaving of the hair. It is this. Where am I now in the Bible? Genesis 3. You can't get Genesis 3 out of Samson. You can't. You can try, but don't. The result is that the Holy Spirit departs and Samson is blind. Unable to be of service to the Lord, he's a slave and he's reduced to grinding. All of this because Samson loves the woman who hates him and seeks to kill him. The parallels to Genesis 3 are obvious, as you know. Adam, knowingly, undeceived, willfully eats the poison, doesn't he? He surrenders himself because he loves the woman. The resultant is is that God departs. Both men make a free will decision. I know, free will decision is a redundancy. So okay anyway, or so anyway okay. Samson desires vengeance for his eyes. I'm going to get one more in here for you. The blinding, his two eyes. He wants vengeance, not on Delilah. He doesn't know she's there, or maybe he does. In any event, I believe she's there when he kills all of those people. And he, but he wants vengeance on his eyes, or for his eyes, his two eyes. His eyes were taken out, they were removed, they were carved out of his head with a, with a knife-like device, very common in those ages. Why didn't the Philistines kill Samson? Why risk the regrowth of his hair? Note that the hair can re, and it does, note that the hair regrows. I'd be shaving Samson every day. That barber, hey you, because he's weak. Again, the outward appearance of Samson is that of a weak man. The outward appearance of Christ is that of a, yeah, an amazing strength hidden in both Samson and Christ. That's how you can have the position that he looked like Wally Cox. That dates me, I know. Look up Wally Cox. It's on the internet, you folks. Find out how old I am. Obviously, the Philistines were confident that Samson was abandoned. They are the original replacement theologians. and They thought that his blindness was sufficient, and in fact it was superfluous. They didn't fear the regrowth of his hair because they didn't think God was coming back. We have an entire nation of Israel surrounded by people that do not know that God is protecting them and coming back for them. And I think this idea that uh, Samson was abandoned and his blindness was sufficient, it seems to me to be illogical and foolish thinking. Some people think that Samson was this huge man operating a mill with this incredible strength, but he was blind. And they brought him out to perform for them, to do feats of strength as a blind guy, kind of like a circus strongman. I don't think that's what it says at all. I don't think that he had any strength. I think they brought him out to show everybody that he was defeated, that they would make him dance or they would make him do stupid things. They mocked him. They tormented him. He was tortured. He doesn't want vengeance for that. He wants vengeance because he can't see. He wants to see. What does he want to see? The guy, if his strength comes back to him, can kill anyone who comes near him. All he has to do is find you. Samson, again, wants revenge for his two eyes. Not his imprisonment, not his grinding, not his humiliation, his blinding. Two eyes are gone. He wants his two eyes. He wants vengeance for his two eyes. And notice while Samson is crying out to the Lord, positioning himself to destroy the Philistine temple and kill the many thousands assembled there, gathered there. None of them run for the exits. That tells you they did not think that he had any strength. Why didn't they think that? Because he had no strength up to that point, and they knew it. Clearly, they think that Samson and is weak and will remain weak and is weak while he's in front of them. Because if he had his strength and he could catch any of them standing, he'd tear them to pieces, wouldn't he? He'd be blind, but he would be Ridiculous. John from Pennsylvania. Hi, John. wrote a while back with respect to the number two. There are two testaments. There's two witnesses. There's two Adams. There's two realms, angelic and humanity. There's Israel and the church. There's Cain and Abel. There's Jacob and Esau. And those are, and more are worthy of consideration here and should be considered. But I think it's not any of those. I think that what Samson wants to see, what he wants, is to know something. Because he's Israel, isn't he? Israel is restored when they know something. What do they know? Actually, it's not what they know. It's what they believe, isn't it? It's a belief system. Back we go to belief. Where are we now? Romans 1. He did it. The just shall live by faith. Knowing good from evil, light from darkness, believing God. Is good. Believing God is light. Genesis 3, that's where you start. (coughs) Samson is repenting. His two eyes that he wants vengeance for are repentance. He's repenting. He's mourning for what he did not believe. Did God, did Samson know why God left? Not Not immediately, but after all the time he spent grinding, he figured out why God left him. When he calls out, he's repented of that. During the blind grinding, he figures it all out. He believes Christ returns for him. The great rememberer remembers him. And Samson is back in service. Bad news for the Philistine. Let's rise and be dismissed.